Well, good morning to you. So are you ready to get some good news? It's found in the scripture, so we're going to go there. All right, so let's just jump in. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. So if you're new here, my name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LAFC, and, uh, and you'll find that the good news doesn't come from me. I just get the privilege of, of sharing it. It comes from God himself, and, uh, and I'm telling you, I loving prepare uh, for sermons out of the book of Ephesians. It has been rich for me. Uh, it's made me stop many times, and actually this past week, I just, there was a point when I was in this text, I just had to get up and go outside and, and just have a moment with God. It was, it was just powerful and profound. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to opening this text up with you this morning, and uh, just a reminder that last week uh, when we were in the text, it was verses 11 to 18 in chapter 2, that we're told as Gentiles, uh, again, I'm assuming most of us here are, there might be a few of you that by heritage are of Jewish descent, but uh, as Gentiles, whether we be black, white, Euro, from Africa, Hispanic, Latino, Arab, Persian, Asian, we're all Gentiles that were on the outside looking in prior to Christ. You see, up to that point, there was no nation on the face of the earth that had promises from God, that had purpose from God, that was given direction from God, except for one, and that was Israel. The beautiful thing is, is that from the very beginning, when the covenants were given to Israel, beginning with Abraham, they were told that you will become a blessing to all the world, that many peoples the Gentiles will certainly be blessed due to the offspring of Abraham. And all of that was fulfilled when Jesus, who was of the, yes, the seed of Abraham, but of the line of Judah, particularly the line of David, came and he destroyed the wall of hostility, the barrier between us and the Jews. And so as a result, there is now one new humanity that is formed. And, and also, all that was kept from us, the Christ himself, the coming of the Messiah, all those prophecies that were saying he's going to come and he's going to bring about his kingdom here on this earth, that, that was not going to be exclusively Israel. It's going to involve all the people that God would call to himself. And so because of Christ, there is now hope. And so we're going to begin by reading some of the passage that was last week to give us greater context to where we're at today, which is primarily verses 19 to 22. So will you begin by reading with me in verse 11? It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who were of the circumcision. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ and ex excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And then here's the but God moment. But now in Christ, those of us who are far away, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, and he has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, 
and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he was put to death, he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away, that would be the Gentiles, and then peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, Christ, both Jew and Gentile have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, the text for today. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the statement of, but God, in Christ, those of us who are far away that did not carry the covenants with us, did not have the promises that come with those covenants, and more importantly, therefore, we had no hope because the covenants gave hope. We were brought near by God. Gentiles were brought near because of Christ. And then Christ began a message and and a ministry of peace, bringing that which was separate together. And as a result, with that one humanity and both being brought together by one spirit, as it said at the end of verse 18, it says consequently, or because of that, there is this following statement. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And then it says at the end of it in verse 22, and in him we're also being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. So there are three consequences then because of the division or the barrier having been destroyed by the cross. And those three things are this, that we become one people. We were separate. We were, not a, we were not one. We were Jew. We were Gentile. Jews had the promises of God and the, and, the prom, and the anticipation of the coming Messiah. Gentiles could only look from afar. They had no hope. They had no intentionality. They had no direction. And therefore, they were without the promises of God. And then what we see is because of that barrier being separated, we become one people. We become one family. And we become one church. Now, we might bear as a church a name, Lancaster Evangelical Free Church. But we are just a part of a much bigger church. And those churches have many names in the same way that we all, many of us come from families where there are multiple children. We carry the same last name, We're part of the same household, but we have unique names. And so that is true of the church, that we are part of one people, one family, one church. Now let's unpack those three things. So beginning with God has created one kingdom or one nation where Jew and Gentile become one people. Now, Israel is still Israel, And the covenants and the promises that point to Jesus are still with them. 
But now the Gentiles are blessed by that because the cross has happened. And we've been brought near. And so what's happening now is that there is a new nation being established, a new kingdom. And that kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And so we are citizens of that. We're both Jew and Gentile are now part of a citizenship called the kingdom of heaven. And so those who are part of that kingdom are those who believe. So those Jews who have realized that the fulfillment of the promises that they've seen, nearly 400 messianic prophecies, have indeed pointed to Jesus Christ. Those who've come into that knowledge and have faith in the work of Jesus Christ, those Jews are now a part of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, the Gentiles who are far away have been brought near and are also part of that kingdom. Consider what Paul, how he explains this to the church of Philippi in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It'll be on the screen. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So he's speaking again to both Jew and Gentile who are believers. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. So we get to have a different body, and that is something to look forward to, amen? You tired of how you look? COVID got you looking a little differently these days? I mean, let's face it. These bodies break down, but we get to anticipate because we have a citizenship in heaven, we get to anticipate there will be a day when we will experience the citizenship that we have in reality through a glorious body. So it's speaking to both Jew and Gentile that we're a part of a kingdom that is something we get to look forward to. We are still on the earth, and so there's still earthly kingdoms, but there is a greater citizenship that we're a part of, and so therefore we're more loyal to the kingdom of heaven than we are to any citizenship here on this earth. So we operate differently with a different mindset when you come from a different place or when you belong to a different place. So what I want us to do is to turn now in your Bibles towards the end of the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. I believe probably all but a couple sermons since we've been in Ephesians has referenced back to Peter at some point because what you find in 1 Peter uh, and Second Peter is a lot of the same issues going on. Both men are writing under the authority of the Holy Spirit and as a result, bringing their unique angle uh, as, as apostles to the church. And so you're gonna see common language between both of them, but written just with a different style. So let's look at Peter chapter two, starting in verse nine. Speaking to both Jew and Gentile, it says, but you are a chosen people. Okay, sounds similar, right, to Ephesians, where it's talking about, but you are a chosen people, all right? So then it goes on and says, and, you're a, and you are a royal priesthood. So of a royal lineage, so you're somehow an inheritor. Again, does that sound familiar to what is in Ephesians? And so we're a royal 
but priesthood. So it's a royal lineage, but where there's something about this interaction with the spirit and presence of God that we carry. And we are a holy nation. God's special possession. Again, that possession can also point back to Ephesians 1. Remember what it says, that when you choose by faith to have God come into your life and he then brings the Holy Spirit upon you, then you are marked by that Holy Spirit with the seal of God. And therefore, you are God's possession. And as part of that, it becomes the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with the Father God. And so this chosen people, God choosing a people for himself, has now become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession for this purpose. To declare the praises of God who has called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were just separate nations, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Okay, so in that last part, in lie the fact that we are now the people of God, a chosen people, and we are then a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, and God's special possession, it says in light of that, we should live as foreigners and exiles here. Now, this is different charge from what Paul has said in Ephesians 2, where it says you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but what that's saying is no longer foreigners and strangers to each other. Jews and Gentiles are now part of the same family. They are not outsiders towards each other anymore. But here, what Peter is saying, but for those of you, Jew and Gentile, who are part of this holy nation, royal priesthood, God's possession, you are now foreigners and strangers to those who have not believed, to the pagan. And so the, they, they, these, uh, these things that the pagans live by are the sinful desires. Those things are what wage against your soul. They war against your soul. And what he's saying is that because we're a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation, God's possession, our behavior is going to be different. It's going to look very different. You know, I've traveled the world uh, pretty extensively and a lot of those times with teenagers. And it's not usually well received when a bunch of teenagers get on a plane you're gonna be sitting on for about 15 plus hours. And when you travel, it doesn't take long before you can hear people saying, they're Americans. <laughs> you see, we stand out. Our culture is very gregarious. It's very much out there. And most cultures are much more passive when among strangers, much more repressed than when they're among strangers, but not Americans. We continue at the same decibel level, regardless of who's around us. Now, to some, that's not a good thing. It's just the reality of our culture. Well, if we are truly a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Therefore, we become a singular, different culture together. Then we are going to be identifiable to those who are not part of that holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, because it will seem strange to them. That's why it's a travesty that, it, that, that in statistics they would say that there's less than 5% difference between somebody and their behaviors that is, claims to be born again than somebody who has no idea what that born again term means. My understanding of scripture is that life becomes radically different in our behaviors when we are a royal priesthood a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. It's transformative. And so our behaviors are going to be different. So as somebody that's a part of a different kingdom, that our citizenship is there, there should be something that say, oh, you're one of them. You're one of them. You get on a plane and they're like, after a while they start realizing, I think they're religious. You see, there should be some qualifier that says, ah, that's a person who's met Jesus. That's who they are. That's why when it comes to the concerns of our country, as citizens of this country, of course we're going to have concerns. But when our minds become consumed by the concerns of our country over the concerns of the greater citizenship we have, we can begin to see that that's imbalanced when our behaviors and the way we're fighting the issues of our country look no different from the rest of the world. The way we fight, the way we communicate, the way we're concerned should show that there's a behavioral difference in the attitude and spirit and terminology and rhetoric by which we address our concerns. That's what a citizen of heaven does. And on top of that, if you're more concerned about the moral fabric of our country more than you are concerned about those who you know that don't know Jesus, there is something definitively wrong. Everything I've learned from studying Christ, and trust me, I've studied the life of Christ more in the last 12 months than I have in probably any other time in my life because I wanna know how to navigate the concerns I have for our country. I wanna know how to navigate the concerns I have for my community. And I wanna know how to navigate that by the way God would do it if he was here, and he was. Jesus modeled these things, and I've learned that he kept his mind set on things above, not on things of this earth. And by doing so, he transformed things upon this earth. Do you hear the difference? By having your mind set on things above, then you are in a place of influence and power where things can change here on this earth. So, one of the consequences, again, of two groups, Jew and Gentile, coming together under one banner, one kingdom, is that we then are no longer foreigners and strangers to each other, but we become foreigners and strangers to those who resist or reject or do not know the name of Jesus. Secondly, what you'll see in Ephesians chapter two 
is that he says, not only are we no longer foreigners and strangers to each other, but we're one nation, we're one kingdom together, one citizenship, one fellow citizen, we're fellow citizens, but we are also God's people who are members of his household, his oikos. That's what it says in the Greek. His oikos, one, one group of people. How's that cool? You know, we do about once a year, we remind people that there is a sphere of influence that God has placed us among. And in the Greeks, they would use the term oikos. That's what your sphere of influence, and that's where we're called to make disciples. And once a year, we, we hand out a card that says oikos on the top, and we write down names of people that God has uniquely placed in our lives that we can begin to share the good news of Jesus with. Some of them are believers and need the encouragement from a fellow believer. But many of those on my oikos card do not know Jesus Christ. For God, he is also building a household. Some of them are already in it. And others he's yet to reach. But he's already begun his work. So we're a part of a household, one family. And, and so what used to be just a single, the family of Abraham, Jew, though no Jew and Gentile has been brought together into one family. We are siblings, yes. And as a result, we're uniquely different. But we carry the same genealogy. We only come to Christ through the, the line of Abraham. Christ came from there. And so it becomes part of our genealogy. And we also then carry the same Redeemer. And we also call the same God, Father. And so as part of that family, we carry the same rights together in the kingdom of God and God's family. We're all firstborns. We have the same birth order as a result. And... We have the same inheritance. As that passage in Philippians said, that we look forward to the day when the reality of our faith is no longer by faith, it's by sight. We actually see Jesus face to face. And it says that in that moment, we'll be given a glorious body. And so we anticipate those things and we look forward to it, that there will be a day that yes, we are part of one family that is gonna be able to enjoy the presence of God forever. But this isn't the only place where there is oneness. Now, I will say that having said that we are one people and that we are one family, those things are immediate at the point somebody bends the knee and receives the free gift of salvation from God and God alone through Jesus Christ. That's immediate. But what we see next is a process. So let's reread it. So again, verse 19, that we are members of, we are also members of this household. It's already complete. We're already part of that household. But we're built then on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with which Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this idea that God is building one holy temple out of many is a process that he has begun by the work of his Holy Spirit. So again, reminding you, having believed, you know, God is revealing those who he's chosen. Having believed, we were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, having been then chosen by God and becoming then this holy nation, one humanity, and then therefore God's possession, then we are then, while here on this earth, because all of that is the kingdom of heaven, that while on this earth, he's building us into a church that otherwise, without the power of God, would seem to be impossible. Now, the one thing we all have in common here in this room that I can say with absolute certainty is that we willingly walked in these doors. Now, perhaps some of you are saying, no, my parents made me come. <laughs> but you're here in this room. This building is identified as being the gathering place of, a, as a, of the family of God referred to as Lancaster Evangelical Free Church. So that identifies several things about us. But would anybody here say that you have arrived fully and that you are a fully mature follower of Christ and you have nothing else to work on? I didn't even see my father raise his hand. <laughs> so no, we're all here, why? Because we're under construction. We're continuing to be built up into something beautiful. But what I love about how this text in Ephesians 2 describes it is that, yes, it was begun by the teaching of the apostles in the church, and they teach us about uh, who Jesus is, but they teach us through the lens of the prophets. So the prophets were the ones that pointed to, there's this Jesus coming, and this is what he's going to accomplish. He is going to, and this had to be strange to the nation of Israel when they're hearing this. When the prophet said, in those days, I will pour out my spirit upon them. And see, in their days, the spirit went to one place. It went to the Holy of Holies in full. And only the high priest got to access the presence of God one time a year. But in the prophets, they said, there will be a day when the Holy Spirit will be poured upon all people and they will all be able to experience the presence of God. So that had to be mind-blowing to those in the old, olden days. And then the apostles in Acts 2 experienced what, he, what that prophet said and then they're now testifying that we are now in the days when the Spirit of God is poured out upon all mankind. So we walk towards Jesus to experience that personally. So what you have is God is then building this holy temple and he's doing it through a group of people that when we were marked within in him by the Holy Spirit, then each of us came in these doors today. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you, were, you came into this room filled with the Spirit of God, marked as God's possession. But when we all gather together, then we become a single temple together in which the Lord then is glorified and his, and his glory of his spirit is on display. And so what we have is that, that all this is accomplished through the teachings and prophetic statements of the prophets throughout the time of Israel and now with the apostles speaking to all that Jesus did and then the spirit inside of us confirms and affirms the things we are hearing as being true. Think about what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, and it'll be on the screen. As you come to him, that is Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him, 
you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Do you realize what this is saying? I'm a living stone. You're a living stone if you're in Christ. And those stones, when put together by the mortar of Jesus Christ, becomes a single temple which the glory of God is on display. Which then helps us understand when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says to you, you become the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So don't hide it. Because that light will lead somebody to the light that will forever change them. And build them into a a person that experiences the very presence of God. Let's pray. Oh God, there is much more I'd like to say to this, this moment. I could just spend another hour in the book of Hebrews and how it unpacks that for the Jew. All that was just said by Paul and Peter about this one kingdom, this idea that there is a chief cornerstone, how it's all tied together by the work of God by one spirit. And God, my guess is if there are people here in this room that, that know you and could testify that you are indeed their Lord and Savior, that the spirit within them resonates with joy and saying, this is true. You are a chosen person. You are God's possession. You're a part of a great holy nation. But there are some here that don't know you. They're on the outside looking in. You've yet to bring them near. So I ask God, bring them near to your heart. Reveal to them the glory of Jesus and the amazing miracle that we sit here under where many walking temples can worship together as one. And Lord, we anticipate because of our oneness and because of our citizenship is not an earthly kingdom, but rather a heavenly kingdom, that we look forward to the day when we lose these bodies and we gain the one that we will have for eternity as we look face to face upon the God, the Father God, who's built this incredible household, both Jew and Gentile, to live with him for all of eternity. So as you say, you have done this because you want to bring about the glory of this story. And we point the glory to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being the chief cornerstone that draws us all together. We anticipate seeing you face to face. In your name I pray, amen. Would you stand please?
One day you'll make everything new, Jesus. One day you will bind every Former things shall all pass away, no more tears. One day you'll make sense of it all, Jesus. One day every question resolved. Every anxious thought left behind, no with me. Come on. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. One day we will see face to Jesus, is there a greater vision of grace? And in a moment we shall be changed that day. And one day we'll be free, free indeed. Jesus, one day we will see your glory revealed. And we will see Victory. 
Don't get me wrong, I love living. I have no wish to die today, nor do you. But we live understanding that this, we're not guaranteed our day. We're not given tomorrow as a guarantee, but we are given the guarantee that we have purpose, we have promise, and we have opportunity each and every day. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform these lowly bodies into be like his glorious one. That is our anticipation. If you would like to pray with someone, we'll have people that will be in the encounter room that would be glad to pray with you. That's to my left. Love to just whatever your burdens might be while here on this earth. But for those of you that have never bent the knee to Jesus, we'd invite you to respond to his Holy Spirit's work in your life this morning and become a sibling, a brother or sister in Christ to us so that you can anticipate what we long for. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I love it. We get to look forward to eternity together. So if you don't like me here on this earth, you're gonna have to suck it up for eternity because you're gonna have to enjoy me for a long, long time afterwards. But I get to enjoy you too as well. It goes both ways. But until that time comes, we serve a greater kingdom and we serve a great Lord. And therefore we shine the light of Christ so that he gets glory. Amen. You are dismissed.